Reporter Podcast listeners, welcome back after a uh, roughly three, three and a half week hiatus. Um, we are back recording. Uh, this is your host, Wick. We uh, we read into that inevitable uh, portion of the Cincinnati Red season. I say inevitable based on what we've seen over the last couple of years, but that inevitable portion of the season where you look up and say, I... I don't know what to say. You know, I just I just don't know what to say about these Reds again. Um, you know, they fought hard. They were in it uh, up until basically the end of August or at least the end of July, I should say. And and, and kind of running into mid-August before things kind of just began to fall apart. And then you reach the point of the season. And for the first time in about five or six years, we can honestly say this was a team that we actually had some expectations for. Uh, and then watching September baseball when you started the season with expectations uh, and the Reds weren't there to be a part of it, it seemed a little different this year. You know, obviously the last couple seasons, they, they've been uh, expectation free from the start. And uh, once you reach this point of the season, it was kind of inevitable. Oh, hey, we're going to look at the young guys or we've got something else to turn to. Uh, this was the first year we've kind of run into a, a September of, well, shit. Uh, in a long time. And so I think we kind of all had a collective frustration with that. But here we are on uh, September 25th. The, the Reds are getting thumped by the Brewers right now. Um, but it's also Marty Brenneman's second to last uh, uh, broadcast. Obviously, he's doing the day game tomorrow to kind of wrap things up. But his final night game tonight, and he's calling the game with his son, Tom, Um it's uh, you know I've been listening to the, at least the first half of the broadcast on the radio and it's been kind of uh, it's been a little bit more nostalgic for me than I think I thought it was going to be uh, as we finally be, you know kind of reached this point that we knew was coming for a year now. So um, joining me tonight we got Tony Wolf from Red Reporter and from Fangrass.com and we got Derek Grimes who joins me at RedReporter.com as well. Two uh, veterans of the RR podcast. Um, I guess just it's hard not to start this off by just kind of getting your thoughts on on what uh, what Marty is and has been and uh, what this moment kind of signifies for for you guys uh, who have been obviously Reds fans for for years and years and years. Um, Tony, how about you go first, man? Yeah, uh, my my thoughts on Marty have been kind of weird uh, the past you know month or so as this whole thing has wound down because I didn't I'm young enough I guess to where I I didn't get a I didn't get a. T- I don't remember a ton of uh, Marty and Joe. Uh, you know, I, I don't. I didn't get to hear him call the 1990 you know World Series. I didn't get to hear Marty call a lot of uh, good baseball. Yeah, a lot of importance. In <laughs> uh, I didn't get to hear him. You know, it, you know, part of that. I you know, iconic team with with Joe over the years. I didn't get to hear a whole lot of that. You know, at least when I did, I was you know I was a, a very small child, um, and now I'm a I'm a slightly I'm I'm a slightly bigger child, and <laughs> he's, he's he's just been but you know he's just been there my whole life. He's uh, and that's that's true of people much older than than I am. So that's you know that's just such a such a testament to how long he's been doing this and the staple uh, he is in the. Reds community, but you know, I've I've always 
when I, I when I think about this in the Reds, I Marty Brenneman's one of the first people I think about, and uh, the 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 voice of this uh, team that I've spent uh, an embarrassing chunk of my life thinking about uh, is is a pretty big is a pretty big deal to me. You know, I I still remember. Um, I remember my, my biggest, the thing I connect Marty with the most is I, I remember being in like junior high and, uh, I was listening, listening to a, to a Marty broadcast with my dad and my dad just like randomly out of nowhere was like, you know, he has to have the coolest job in the world. <laughs> yeah. And before, before my dad said that, I, I never really thought about the fact that that was his job. Like that Marty Brenneman, like he didn't, he, he wasn't just born like in Riverfront Stadium. You know, he, he, Marty like went to school and like did all this stuff to like become a Cincinnati Reds broadcaster. That's a decision he made. And that's a, that was, that's just the way he's made a living. That's what he's been paid to do is travel the country, watching the Reds and talking about baseball. And I, I never really, that had never really clicked for me before then. So that was, I remember that's always been like what I think about is the, the day that I figured out that I could have a job like writing slash talking about, about sports was, was, you know, realizing that that's what uh, this guy did and, and that he made a living and had what has to be a pretty cool life and you know from that for ever since then i was like okay i'm gonna do what i can to get into you know getting paid to do something similar and uh obviously i you know i'm not and i'm not, i ended up not going into broadcasting or doing radio or tv or anything like that but it, it you know the the path that i've been on for the past you know 10 10 years or so of going to college for journalism and getting involved with my hometown newspaper and now you know doing the writing i've gotten to do with 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 red reporter and fangraphs that's that is tied to that conversation with my dad you know about how how cool of a job marty brenneman has so and for that, 40 for 46 years too i mean that's yeah. just it's it's oh it's it's it's, it's hard to, to really fathom you know a that he's been doing it and b that he's had a 46 year run doing it. You know I mean? That's, that's, it's, it's remarkable. It's absolutely remarkable. And obviously, you know, I, I wrote a little bit earlier today, uh, uh, you know, obviously you, you could never listen to anybody for 46 years as often as we do every single day, especially when the Reds have been so bad for so long and not find nits to pick and not find ways to, to disagree with them and takes that seem outlandish and whatnot. But like, that's, that's the case with anybody in the world that you, that you, theoretically exist with or exist parallel to uh in any walk of life you know your parents you're going to disagree with as much as you disagree with marty um even if you love him to death because you just can't spend that much time with somebody and not find a few things to to tweak and, and to critique and all the above but uh the one thing i mentioned earlier was um you know marty took over right as the big red machine was 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 going nuts and you mentioned you obviously you, you didn't remember the 1990 world series and i was a, a uh, toddler at that point and uh that was kind of like my first tv experience and i wasn't even listening to marty yet um but i i was born well after the big red machine I, that was an era in, in red's history that i totally totally missed um but you go back and you listen to that era of red's baseball and it's marty you know it's still marty it, it's marty calling it it sounds like red's baseball because 
he's been doing it and been doing it in much the same way since then, you know, and it's kind of a connection to an era that was hands down the greatest in Reds history and one of the greatest runs in baseball history. And it doesn't sound too different when you close your eyes and listen to it to what he's calling today, other than when he says the score every half inning or so. Um, but that's it's that relatable quality to not just Reds baseball, but to the best aspects of a franchise that's been around longer than any other, you know, at least there's been baseball in Cincinnati longer than any other uh, other city. Uh, he really is that tie to other generations and not just generations by age, but generations by success. And like he, 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 Calling games the last five six years, uh, it's this. It, it at least gives you an um, uh, an audio version of a link to the past. It really does because he used that one kind of tie that binds uh, back to an era of Reds baseball when the Reds were uh, the big ticket in every town, and uh, and that's certainly going to be weird to hear somebody else try to to, to harken back to those days when uh, when it's not Marty talking about it. Um, Grimy, what do you think, man? Yeah, I don't have a I don't have a, a, a good story about my uh, career path like Tony, um, <laughs> honestly. And 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 I'm a little bit I'm a little bit younger than you, and I'm a little bit older than Tony. But I didn't get into my Reds fandom until I mean I'm actually just going on like ten years of Reds baseball. Um, so I don't have I mean I was. 20, 21 years old by the time I started listening to Marty on the radio. So I don't, I don't have like these like nostalgic childhood memories of years gone by, even though there, I mean, even when, <laughs> when I would, would have been a kid listening, they would have been bad, but, but even, but it still would have been nostalgic. Right. Um, I don't really have that, but I, I will say as somebody that's come into it later on, um, you know, when I first started tuning into games, I probably didn't start tuning into games on the radio until about 2010. But you don't have to listen for very long to know that the guy is the quote unquote Hall of Famer, right? Like he, like Marty's just got this gravitas to him that I think there, even if you were listening for the first time right now, like you would listen to Marty and be like, oh, like that guy's seen some things and done, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. And I think that's, there's a big part of that that's going to go away, uh, obviously, next year. Um, but I think that's my biggest. I think that's my 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 memory of Marty. Like I said, it just didn't take long to realize that he was an all timer. Even if you didn't, even if you didn't go back, you know, for people older than us to the Big Red Machine, or even have childhood memories of that being your summertime listening to Marty on on the radio, Marty and Joe, you don't have to listen for very long to realize that he is an all time great. Um, yeah, I know. As as I as I pick up my phone and stare at the MLB at bat uh, app to check the box score of the game that we're watching on a different device while recording a podcast on another device, um, I, I think what gets lost a little bit in not even I don't want to say like today's baseball, but even like the last like ten years. Uh, before you had smartphones that you could watch the game on or that you could pull up game day and watch game day on, if you weren't plugged in in front of a TV. And even then, in a lot of places, and the Reds are almost more regional than any other team there is in terms of uh, having fan bases that are an hour or 45 minutes or two hours away uh, in, you know, whatever, Dayton, Columbus, Indianapolis, Louisville, Lexington, all the way around. Um, if you weren't watching a game and back then all 162 weren't on TV, uh, the only way you could pick up on what was going on in the Reds game was either A, wait till tomorrow morning and read the newspaper, or B, listen to Marty. You know, that was the, that was it. That was the one way to do it. And 
He is as good a play-by-play guy as I had ever heard in the ability to almost watch what's happening on the field in the box score with one eye and then do something completely different with the other one. And he can jump back and forth to whatever inane conversation or uh, third inning trivia question or second inning interview with a beat writer or whatever, and then jump right back into what's happening on the field, how many outs there are, who's pitching, where they're from. He he juggles it uh, in a way that you heard radio broadcasters do for years and years and years and years and years when they were the only medium uh, to relay what was going on in a baseball game. Um, but he's found a way to continue to do it uh, with utmost respect and 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 jokes and takes and laughs and all the above uh, in an era where radio isn't what it once used to be. And I, I almost feel like, um, not that I listen to him on radio as much as I used to, obviously with the, the, the other ways that you can follow the Reds and follow baseball, um, but I still do because of him. And I worry that I'm not going to anymore or not nearly as much because I don't know if that's a skill that anybody else out there really has anymore, you know, um, because he, he pretty much mastered a craft that that was for the longest, longest time um, the way to follow baseball. And I, I think he deserves all the credit in the world for for having done that as well as he has and for as long as he has. Sure. It's, and it's easy to get like it's, it's easy to be a little bit put off uh, by the fact that he, you know, he can he can be a little bit, you know, crotchety in the past Spicy. few years. Spicy. <laughs> Uh, salty uh, with, with the team, but I don't know, man. You got to kind of feel bad for the guy. The Reds in the past, like, 20 years, in the past 20 years, the Reds have four winning seasons. <laughs> they, they, I they, mean, they have gonna... four worse nine times in that stretch, and they have, they've finished in fifth place or worse more than double the amount of times they've had a winning season. And this is the last 20 years of the guy's career. Like it's easy, like it's easy for like Vince Scully to still ha- be <laughs> and chipper and fun in the booth when he's watching the goddamn Dodgers. <laughs> this is the Reds. Marty's Marty's like in his Marty's, however old Marty is, you know, in his seventies and he has to watch this just, dumpster fire that the reds have put on the field for the past like five years you know it's i i don't know that i would be excited to call the game but he's you know he i like to think he did his best i I, i've been writing about the reds between casually off and on and prolifically in certain well in quantity not in quality um for nine years now and i'm salty as hell like I, I, there, there are times where I get frustrated with him being that, in part because I'm following him to get my way to write about the Reds. I, I'm listening to his opinion to form my opinion. Um, you know, and I mentioned that also in the article earlier today is that some of my most favorite memories in hindsight, looking back at things Marty has done, is when he said something where I actively had to go do the research to prove him wrong, because <laughs> at, at, at his best, I take his word word for word, and he's largely. Worth doing that. But every now and then he says something controversial. And all that did was prompt me to dig deeper into baseball history, dig deeper into the Reds to figure out what he was talking about and why and why I thought he was wrong and if I have any basis. And, like, all that did was make me a better baseball fan because I was listening to him talk about baseball. And, and that's something that I don't think a flippant third-party um, uh, – uh, what's the best word to say here? Um uh, 
toe the party line, uh, bland guy in pleated khakis, uh, who's just calling the game could do, but he did it and he's pulled it off for that long. And I think that deserves, it deserves credit. It certainly does. And, and I'm not sure. I think what I'm saying is I'm not sure we're ever going to see another Marty Brenneman in Cincinnati or elsewhere. Uh, a, cause the medium's not there and he helped maintain that medium further than I think anybody else would have. Uh, and B, I'm just not sure there's that many people like him. I, I really don't. And the more and more I, I think back about it, the more I, I've been impressed with his ability to to not just be good at what he's done over the last four and a half decades, but to stick true to who he is. Like he's never showed up next year and been a different Marty Brenneman. He's always been Marty, and that deserves uh, that deserves credit. So cheers for better or for worse, right? For, for better or for worse, right? So <laughs> che- cheers to Marty. Salutations, congratulations in retirement, and uh, it's going to be weird, man. It's going to be weird not having him around. You know, we, we talk about uh, how he's not going away completely. He's going to be a Reds ambassador, and and we joked about that, and and, and some run up to this podcast about what exactly he'll be doing. But the fact of the matter is, he's been probably the biggest Reds ambassador uh, his entire career, uh, or at least the last half of his career, and. Uh, he's he's done a pretty damn good job of it. So yeah. So cheers to cheers to Marty on a on a great great run, and uh, uh, let's hope that that things don't skip too too much of a beat when he's not around on a day in day out basis. Yeah, it's going to be a hard. Uh, I mean, some hard shoes to fill for you know if it's Tommy Thrall or whoever. Um, hopefully, people and. The greater Cincinnati area and the regional, you know, Reds Radio Network will give whomever the time to kind of get their feet under them. And well, the thing about that <laughs> is, uh, the last time the Reds turned over their radio broadcast booth to a new guy, um, it started a pretty fucking fantastic run of baseball. So maybe, maybe just maybe, the next guy gets lucky with uh, a seven-year run that was akin to what 72 to 79 <laughs> and yeah. so, and suddenly it's a lot easier to sound great on radio when your team's not losing 90 plus games a year so um i guess moving on a little bit um the other i guess biggest story in this red season that is kind of uh I, there's no other way to say it, it's it's grinding to a hole like it, it's not it's not the Reds team that was playing good earlier in the year. Obviously, they're out of it. Obviously, they've been dealing with some injuries and some maintenance stuff. Um, but one guy who's been there all year and been there in one of the absolute biggest ways has been Eugenio Suarez. Um, obviously, he, he set the record earlier. Uh, I guess that was, what, end of last week um, where he passed Andres Calarraga for uh, the most home runs in a single season by a Venezuelan-born player. Uh, which was a huge moment to him and, and to the team. It's got several other prominent Venezuelan players on it. Uh, Freddy Galvez, Jose Peraza uh, among them. Uh, Juan Graterol, I think. Um, and it was a big, big deal both to, both to Gino and to the rest of the team, and they celebrated accordingly. Apparently, Freddy Galvez was behind a lot of that, which is super cool to see. Um, but tonight, he hit his 49th home run, and that passes Mike Schmidt, the legendary Mike Schmidt, uh, for the most home runs in a single season by any third baseman in National League history. Um you know, I think when we kicked around the idea of what the 2019 Reds could be before the season started, we thought that they could be a good offensive team. Um, that offensive team obviously was going to depend a lot on Jesse Winker being around for more than half the season, for Nick Senzel being better and healthier than he was, um, for Yasiel Puig being better before he got traded, for, for a lot of things. Um, I don't think any of us saw 
Gino flirting with 50 home runs as, as a legitimate possibility. Uh, he hit 34 last year, had already proved to be a phenomenal signing uh, in that seven-year contract they, they brought him in on. Uh, but what we've seen from him this year is, you know, obviously in an era of the juiced ball and homers flying out left and right, he's still doing it more often than basically everybody other than Pete Alonso. Um, what are your thoughts on on his season this season? Whether or not it's replicable beyond this, you can get into that if you want to. But just on 49 home runs in a season, man, that's uh, – that's you're in George Foster territory now. You're in, you're in Big Clue territory, and that's it. Um, Grammy, how about you go first on on what you've seen from Gino so far this year? Yeah, um, I, we talked about this a little bit, and I think you no, know, it was probably a month, a month and a half ago. We had a conversation in our our internal Slack, you know, about oh, like you know, Eugenio Suarez has a legitimate chance to hit. 40, 44, 45, you know. And I said, jokingly, why not 50? And I was joking. <laughs> you know, I, mean? like, I know I didn't really, but, it, you know, here we are, right? Um, still got a few games left to play. He's, he's, I mean, and I think uh, I think it might have been uh, BK that mentioned several weeks ago, you know, who had Eugenio Suarez sitting, like, setting the, you know, Reds third base, uh record for home runs in a season and he's gone on obviously to do more than that you know when the reds acquired uh Eugenio suarez he'd hit four home runs with the uh <laughs> you know and then he in his first full season he hit 21 and at that point you're thinking well like damn you know like this kid's got some pop and like you mentioned you know last year he had 34 and that seemed like a surge so you're thinking maybe in a peak year he's got 40 in him and he's still got four game, four or five games to go well, the rest of tonight and the rest of the season, you know, four games, I think is, um, and he's got a legit shot at 50, not just 50, but 50 plus, which is incredible. Um, he is, uh, I'm looking at the stats now. Um, it looks like he might creep up to his B war total from last year, which was kind of even with, with even with the home run barrage, it was like, oh wow, he's gonna you know set the record or lead the league in home runs and still come in under his number from last year. But it's getting there. Um, he he really has been incredible. I think there was one month uh, if we kind of just go with selective endpoint month by month, it's easy to kind of recap a season like that, even if it's not necessarily one hundred percent accurate. I think that he had one calendar month, and I want to say it was June maybe uh, where he kind of struggled, but otherwise, I mean. He's really been the one steady offensive force for the Reds this year and one that needed it badly, as it turned out. Yeah, and I'm looking at his splits right now, and the one thing I think has me the most excited about maybe not just the 2019 version of him, but maybe something that could stick around beyond this, is that he's actually hit more home runs outside of Great American Ballpark than he has in Great American Ballpark. Uh, tonight makes 24 at home, and he's got 25 on the road. Um, he's got a little bit of an uptick in, in, in on-base percentage and a slight edge in slugging percentage at home. Um, but it's not a product of Great American Ballpark. You know, obviously – Everybody gets a product of Great American Ballpark if you play there often enough. But the fact that he's hit that many outside of GABP, um, it, it makes this seem, you know, n- not that I have. Let's see how to how to reconcile my thoughts here. Uh, I, especially living in Colorado and watching the way that Rockies players get basically crapped on all the time because they play in an offensive environment. Um, 
playing an offensive environment, it, it, everybody else plays there when they get a chance to also. And obviously you get to factor that into all the way you break down stats and whatnot. Um, but the fact of the matter is uh, he's played extremely well and it's not a product of the ballpark this season. There have been seasons in his past and seasons in uh, 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 other years where he's only hit left-handed pitching and he's only hit a great American ballpark. This year he's done it everywhere, and that's the kind of maturation uh, thing that I, that really stands out to me because um, it's his team now. You know, it was Joey Votto's team for the longest time, as it deservedly should have been. Um, it's it's Gino's team. Uh, the players love him. The fans love him. He's one of the most likable guys who's ever put on a Reds jersey since I've been watching them. Uh, and to see him continue to improve year after year after year and do what he's done this season – it's been great to see, and it's not just a, a smile and, and giant, you know, gigantic uh, uh, gum bubble thing anymore. Uh, he's on the cusp of fifty dingers, and that's that's freaking amazing. Uh, Tony, what do you think, man? Yeah, and I think the encouraging thing for me about uh, Suarez, at least from a home run production perspective, is uh, just the fact that it's it's all seemed to come uh, from an in- intentional change in approach uh you know when i wrote about him uh for for fan graphs about a month it's funny about a month ago uh it actually i wrote about how this season was a step back for suarez because did he read your article tony what, what's that <laughs> did, he, did he read your article <laughs> he, he might have well because you know at the time uh at the time he uh he was his uh, WRC plus was was much lower than it was last year, and he was he was on pace for uh, his lowest WAR season since uh, twenty sixteen, I believe. And he, you know, he was hitting more home runs, but he was he had regressed in in every other aspect basically of his of his game, and that of course was only two months into what has now been just an unbelievable second half. You know, when uh, for the first uh, through. Through the end of June, Eugenio Suarez was a below-average offensive player. He had like a 98 WRC plus. He, uh, you know, he only had 17 homers through the end of uh, June, which uh, by 2019 standards is basically like 10 uh, <laughs> for a full season. Um, you know, he he wasn't. He was just kind of average. He, was, he wasn't really anything special. And since July 1st. Including tonight, Suarez has 32 home runs since the beginning of July. Like this, is, he has uh, he has a one uh, 1,063 OPS. Sorry, sorry, sorry to look at uh, to interrupt, but if you're looking at his numbers, how many hits does he have? Uh, 78. <laughs> so he's got 32 of his 78 hits have gone for home runs, and that's bad. Okay, so 79 hits tonight now, but yeah, he. That's He's remarkable. just been a completely different player tonight, and uh, you know, according to the his his rate stats, he's he's pulling the ball much more now. He's hitting the ball in the air uh, more than he used to, and so so that it seems like this was this is an an intentional thing for him to try and to you know once he crossed the thirty homer threshold last year, it seems like he made made a decision coming into this year and maybe you know honed in on it especially here in the second half to be like I know I have a lot of power I know I can hit the ball hard how can I maximize that and and right. he's he's certainly maximized it you know there's only so many guys you know once you get into 300 iso 30% home run per fly ball right that's that that's the elite of the elite uh power hitters and uh that's how you get a guy like Suarez who was a pretty balanced 
pretty good hitter coming into you know 2019 suddenly threatening 50 home runs. Yeah, and that's and two things stand about just that breakdown uh, of yours specifically. One, um, it's the inverse of what he's done the last two years, where his overall numbers have been good, but it's been very, very first half heavy. Um, even even last year with the hit by pitch, and I think he missed 17 games after breaking his uh, was it his thumb? I guess on the on the hit by pitch by Pittsburgh, of course. Yes. Um, uh, even then, still he, he had a very, very good first two thirds of the season. And really fell off a cliff in the last part of the season. The same was the the, the case then is kind of his breakout year, which preceded his, his contract extension, uh, where I think he had what twenty six home runs, and so many of those came in the first half as well. Um, it's been great to see him play as well down the stretch as he has. Um, but what stood out to me is also what you mentioned is that he seems to be pull happy, which is a good thing because he knows when he hits the ball and he's pulling it, it's going out of the ballpark. I wonder how much uh, impact Turner Ward and the hitting philosophy that he's brought to the Reds this year that didn't take off with everybody, well, hasn't taken off with everybody at all across the board, took longer for some guys to really catch on too. But you've seen with some of the younger guys, especially working with Donnie Ecker at AAA, uh, what Aristides Aquino has done with changing his batting stance and his batting uh, uh, approach at the plate uh, and seeing what Brian O'Grady has done as well. Um what Suarez has kind of done reminds me a lot of what Justin Turner did uh, when he kind of resurrected his career with the Dodgers, which was what? Uh, obviously, Suarez is not standing open like like Turner has, but Turner became much more pull-happy, became much more of an elevate-the-ball kind of hitter, and the power showed up like that. And it's one of those things where you wonder exactly how much, if you had a chance to press Gino about what it is that he's done to change this season from last season, both of which were very good offensive seasons, uh, to become so much more of a fly ball power hitter. Uh, I, 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 I would love to be a fly on the wall for that kind of conversation because, you know, in bringing in Ward, obviously he came with a great reputation for having worked well with a lot of the Dodgers hitters. You look at the Reds' offense this year, and it hasn't been what you hoped it would be. Uh, but you've seen certain glimpses, especially from guys like Suarez, that uh, maybe some of the things that he's he's working on tweaking uh, are starting to click. You started to see with Joey Votto since he abandoned the the, the squat choke up stance too uh, about a um, well about a quarter of the way or a third of the way of the season. Also, um, hopefully that's one of those things with another off season of work. You can see some of these guys continue to take off with. But with Gino, it certainly looks like it's happened sooner than the rest. Um, Grimey, what are your thoughts on uh, on Suarez uh, and his absolute home run burst of late? Yeah, you actually touched on what I was going to mention. Was sorry, that, well, no, no, that uh, the no, the point I was going to make was like you mentioned at the end of the season, or I guess in the latter third of the season, Suarez Suarez in the last couple of years has pretty well tailed off, um, and he's doing the opposite this year. Like it was, I looked it up. It was June. He had a five ninety something OPS for the month of June, which obviously isn't optimal, but. Um, Ever well, and, and Tony touched on since July uh, how things have gone. So it's, I guess, it's nice to see that it's not just whatever would make you. I don't know if it's if you would blame it on fatigue or whatever it would be um, that he's not going to perennially run out of juice or whatever. You know, like if if the Reds are good next year say the Reds are good in 2020 and we're like really counting on a September run or October run. And a Eugenio Suarez, it's, you know, 550 OPS for the month of August, <laughs> you know, like again, for like the fourth year in a row, like that would be troubling. Right. So right. 
that's not happening this year, which is good to see because that was kind of seeming like it was becoming a trend in the latter third of the year that he was, like I said, I don't know if it's running out of gas, if it's losing focus, you know, whatever. I mean, these were bad teams, right? So <laughs> Being 25 really, games out of first place, yeah. Right, you wouldn't really blame somebody for it necessarily. I'm just saying it's nice to see that he's turned that around for whatever the reason, whether it be the tweaks or whatever. And he's he's always stood a little bit, a lot, well, at least in recent seasons, he's, he's always stood a little more upright in his stance and then like you say as like Joey Votto has um in the last couple of years with Joey being in that really squatty compact stance um Eugenio has always been a little more quite a bit more upright compared to that right so it seems like if there if that and, and that's the kind of adjustment that we've seen was more upright and open uh Tucker Barnhart's been like that since he's come off the DL and it's worked out for him as well I don't have the stats in front of me, but he's played significantly better since he's come back from injury than he did before he was injured. Right, um, and see, and and it was obvious, obviously, with uh, Aristides Aquino is is like the very exaggerated part of that with the way he stands, right? But um, so maybe it is part of that, and it seems like it would have been if anybody on the team existing. If that's the type of uh, thing that they're emphasizing as being more upright and open. Hey, Eugenius kind of seems like he would be one that would adjust to that a little bit quicker than some of the other guys. So hopefully that begins to take, uh, you know, we've kind of wondered about the offense in 2020 and, and hopefully these are the kinds of adjustments that continue to start clicking for the rest of the offense. Um, I know that they kind of fell – it seems like they fell on their face coming into the season, and they did. I mean, they had a pretty good offense last year, and it kind of just evaporated outside of Eugenio Suarez, basically, right? And and Aristides Aquino, when he came up in August and, like, mashed, you know, 50 – it seems like he mashed 50 taters in, in a month. But um, – so hopefully, like, this is the kind of stuff that just kind of starts coming together in another off season with this program, with these coaches. Um which I guess that might be a segue into something else. But, uh. <laughs> no, it's, it, it is. It, it certainly is. And, you know, obviously it's, it's fun to talk about the team's best player doing great player things. Uh, but the fact of the matter is this 2019 season is uh, three and a half, four and a half games, I guess, from being toast. Uh, but it's basically been toast for long before that. Um, heading into 2020, uh, you look up at what the Reds have right now and what they thought they were going to have um, it's, it's two different tales. I think, uh, if you look at what, what best case scenario could have been for the 2019 Cincinnati Reds, even if they weren't going to make the playoffs, um, even if they were just going to be that 82 and 80 team that was a platform year, so to speak, um, uh, the, the best case scenario would have had Jesse Winker staying healthy and showing us what he could really do over a full season, which he's never done. Uh, Nick Senzel being a breakout guy and, and locked down the center field job and, be healthy. Uh, two things that didn't exactly happen. Um, uh, you look around the diamond. Uh, there was a time earlier this year where we thought uh, Derek Dietrich was the greatest thing on the on the planet as a pickup on a minor league deal who had team control for 2020. Um, and now we're talking about him as, an, as a non-tender guy. Um, and he apparently just hurt his shoulder again uh, last night. Um, heading into 2020, there are so many questions about the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, you basically have Gino at third base. You've got Joey Votto at first base. Uh, you've got Sonny Gray, who just had elbow surgery today. Um, you've got Luis Castillo. Um, then you've got what? 
Trevor Bauer, who's been pretty terrible since they picked him up, and he's a free agent at the end of 2020. Uh, you've got Anthony Scofani, who's put in his healthiest season uh, within at least four years with the Reds, who's also heading into his final year under team control. Um, as you look towards the decisions the Reds have to make for 2020, um, A, how focused on just 2020 should they be, especially after having basically gutted the farm system, uh, and B, what do you see as, as where they go? And obviously that's a pretty nebulous question, but it's a pretty nebulous concept at this point too. Um, Grimey, how about you go first, man? Uh, I Try to sort through what you've seen and, and what you think might might be something that we could see uh, going forward with this team. Yeah, so as you were talking there, I wrote down um, Derek Dietrich with three question marks behind it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I have to think – I have to think – just to, I'm not going to dwell on that very much because I think he's probably gone at this point. Um, but it's got to, it, that's one of the, and you wrote about it a couple of weeks ago about his really, really odd season, um, which his numbers are, I mean, we're going to, we're going to look back on it as somebody that watched this every day and been like, it's, it's yeah, one of the more remarkably odd seasons I have ever seen. Like it's, it's, it's as if you put in uh, the, 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 the call up call up Simborski and, and see how many times you can spit out numbers like that. You know where it's like it's the the the, the quantitative totals are completely out of whack somehow somehow right. some way. You know, and and we're gonna look back on. I mean, I think like I said, us the people that have watched it every day are gonna gonna look back on it and be like, oh yeah, he did that. I remember that May that he had or whatever. But like just you know, even us. 10 years from now, we're going to look back at Derek Dietrich's, you know, 2019 line and be like, oh, yeah, he was fine, you know, but he wasn't. You know what I mean? Like, he's been completely invisible since June, which is insane. Um, and it's it's crazy, too, because it's not like this is just some guy. Um, we, I don't I think we did a lot of comparisons to Scooter Jeanette, but Scooter Jeanette was a player that we thought you knew. And then all of a sudden he strings together two fabulous seasons kind of out of nowhere. Whereas Dietrich was kind of putting together the season that you thought he probably could have had, had he not played his entire career at Marlins park, you know? Um, I mean, this guy had like two, like 2000 plate appearances coming into his tenure with the reds. I mean, this wasn't an unknown commodity because I've seen a lot of people online like, oh, well, they're just throwing in breaking balls now. Like, well, this dude would have washed out of the league if that's all it was, right? <clears throat> so it's, I have to think there's been more going on with the shoulder that he's let on or that the team's let on. That I mean, this guy didn't just forget how to hit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just all of a sudden after, like I said, 2,500 plate appearances, he just right. forgot how to hit. So that's all, and I'm not going to dwell on that because that's just odd. But I did write that down because I've just been a, it's been a crazy, a crazy weird season for but, him. But 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 to touch on that though, like coming into spring training this year, the options the Reds had at second base were endless. They had Scooter Jeanette. They brought in Derek Dietrich. Nick Senzel profiled as the second baseman. Uh, you eventually threw. Um, uh, uh, Josh Van Meter in the mix, who had a phenomenal start to his campaign. He's got a 736 OPS right now. Uh, Scooter Jeanette doesn't have a team. He's literally teamless. Nobody signed him for the last month after he got traded to the Giants and got cut. Like, nobody wants the guy uh, because of his injuries and because of how bad his 2019's been. Um, second base last year was the single biggest strength of the Reds. And we're heading into 2020, and it's like, eh? 
I don't that, who Freddie Galvis. If they bring back Jose Iglesias, like what Jose Peraza? Who? Like there's there there are Alex Blandino. Like there are eight half options at this moment, and that's kind of how it is all the way across the diamond. Um, you know, Aquino is he is he what he was last month, or is he was he what he is this month? Is he what he was every year before this year, or is he the breakout guy in right field? Uh, Nick Senzel is he still your center fielder? He's got labrum surgery. They're hopeful he's ready for spring training. And behind him, you've got who? Uh, Jose Siri is the only like natural center fielder on the roster. Uh, Phil Irvin can kind of play there, but not really. Uh, Phil Irvin still can't hit right-handed pitching. Um, he's been given the opportunity in Jesse Winker's absence again for the third major injury he's had in the last five years. Um, shortstop, Iglesias is a free agent. And behind him, there's – eh. You know, uh, and then you've got catcher where we mentioned Tucker Barnhart's played better of late, but they actively tried to upgrade from him last year. And they're still getting basically the same production from their catching this year as they did last year, aside from some better pitch framing metrics, which I tend to attribute to the fact that they actually got good pitchers this year. Um, yeah, across the board, it's it's where do you go? Uh, how do you fix it? And how do you fix it without Jeter Downs, without Josiah Gray, without Taylor Trammell as trade fodder, uh, especially when your other young tradable assets are Jesse Winker, who's out again with an injury, and Nick Senzel, who's had major labrum surgery. Um, they don't have any trade chips right now. They really don't. Uh, even Tyler Malley, 24-year-old starting pitcher who had, had back-to-back so-so seasons but showed promise, got rocked tonight. Um yeah, it's, it's one of those things that's going to be very, very interesting to see not only who they bring in, but where they choose to address. Because one thing they have done, and I'll give them credit for this, is they built in a ton of flexibility with this roster. They've got guys who can move all around the diamond given who it is they decide to go out and get. Like, you go out and get a legit center fielder, awesome. There are not many of them out there. I don't know who the fuck it's going to be. But then you move Nick Senzel back to second base, and that solves two problems. Um, but they've given themselves the chance to be – Really hard for us to pinpoint what it is they're going to focus on other than offense. Uh, Tony, what do you think, man? Because uh, I'm, I'm having a really hard time trying to figure out where where to, where to go with this, you know? So the weird thing is uh, we were in kind of this same position that we are with the offense this year. Uh, we were in the same position with the pitching staff. It's <laughs> a good point. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the whole damn motto was get the pitching because – and, you know, you, you looked at the rotation and, you know, Castillo was obviously uh, you, you could dream on him for days. And but behind him, there's, you know, OK, you can kind of hope you can hope Tyler Malley puts it together. You hope Anthony DiScofani puts it together. Um, but but you really didn't you didn't have much from a starting rotation perspective. And, you know, they didn't go out and throw a bunch of money at Dallas Keuchel. They didn't go out and and, you know, sign a bunch of guys they made some pretty shrewd deals and you know you know they they got Alex Wood uh in the Puig and Kemp deal and that turned out to be a disaster uh but but the at, at the time they weren't really giving up a whole lot it seemed like a reasonable move and I think if I could do it over again I still I, I think I still would uh you know I I don't have any or you know I would have regrets now that Jeter Downs and Josiah Gray both top 100 prospects across the board and and we'll ignore that Homer Bailey is probably to get starts in the playoffs this and year Homer Bailey is, is going to be <laughs> the 
Kevin Condes. Guess this is a normal functional timeline uh, in human history. Um, but you know, they again, they didn't you know make these big sweeping signings. They made a creative deal to bring in Tanner Roark and only gave gave up a you know faulty, hard throwing relief uh, prospect. They uh, went out and got Sonny Gray, who <laughs> is is a better month of April away from being a serious Cy Young content- contender. Uh, and, and, got, si- and signed him for what looks like